Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google. What makes them industry giants? Get ready to take a peek inside and learn their secrets of success. This is Silicon Valley Insider, the show that demystifies the valley and helps to elevate your business to the next level. Now, your host for Silicon Valley Insider, Keith Koo. Welcome to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo. On today's show, I have Aparna Dina Karin, who is the Chief Product Officer of Arise.ai, a company building infrastructure for artificial intelligence. In this week's tech news, there's a lot to talk about in regards to coronavirus. Um, as you know, the market has been fluctuating with great market movement of 10% or more. Also, supply chains are being affected with companies such as Apple. Uh, there's been companies like Foxconn that have said that they are going to miss their guidance. And there's been other ways that the coronavirus has been affecting the tech industry. Conferences, many conferences have been canceled, such as Mobile World Congress, Facebook's F8. And there's a lot of talk about the upcoming South by Southwest where companies were actually asking the organizers in Austin, Texas to cancel the show. The show is not yet canceled, but just like we've seen in other conferences, like RSA that just happened in San Francisco, 30% is expected to not attend or to pull out. Amazon had given an edict to their employees not to travel, at least through the end of April, and that's from their headquarters. And other ways that the coronavirus is affecting the way that we work is companies like Twitter, Microsoft, and Google have instructed employees to stay and work at home if possible. Also, Google just announced that they're now going to do all job interviews via their product called Hangout. Twitter is testing an ephemeral tweet. So imagine we're... Because of things like Snapchat, there are companies exploring this idea of being able to post something on social media that is timed to disappear. If you're into Teslas, this story might really interest you. It's not reported here in the U.S. yet, but in China, new Tesla owners reported getting a downgrade in their hardware and software, and Tesla did not tell them. So allegedly... If you bought a Tesla with 3.0 features, you were actually delivered a 2.5 for the same price. Uh, Tesla was forced to quote-unquote fess up and said that due to the coronavirus, they were short of certain parts, and therefore they had to provide a car with downgraded features. Um, I would have thought that you should at least disclose that to your potential owner. Senators have collectively asked Google to give more insight into what's going on with their project Nightingale. And this is a cautionary tale for people who have companies that get into businesses that they don't completely understand. Because Google wasn't forthcoming with how they're involved with Project Nightingale, the senators then asked the Catholic healthcare system Ascension how Google is partnered with them. Ascension is the data owner for this medical system with patient information, which is also called PII or personally identifiable information. Uh, that is something that the senators are very interested in how it's being used. And the only response by both Google and Ascension is that they're following 
all industry standards like HIPAA. I'm sure there's more to come, and that's the Tech News of the Week. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Q. Once again, I'm joined with special guest Aparna Dinekan, who is the Chief Product Officer of Arise.ai. Welcome back, Aparna. Thanks so much for having me on the show, Keith. Uh, really excited to be here today. So, Aparna, um, you are extremely well known in the AI machine learning space, but I wanted you to give your background. It's very involved already. Yeah. Um, so, my background, you know, I did Eeks at Berkeley. Um, then spent a number of years working at Uber on their Uber ML platform teams. And so a little bit on the forecasting team and then spent a lot of time just building out different ML platforms. Um, Uber started off sort of deploying models for a variety of use cases. And we got to a point where we scaled and models were, were really crucial in how we did our business. So worked worked there for a while. I actually started a PhD at Cornell mm-hmm. um, in computer vision and dropped out uh, to found a company. And that company was backed by Y Combinator. Um, and the company that I, I started called Monitor ML focused on how do you monitor what your models are doing in production. So just to kind of back up a little bit, folks today are deploying machine learning models mm-hmm. to influence a number of different you know business metrics. So if I was a, you know, a computer a computer vision algorithm deployed inside of a car to figure out am I going to hit a human or is this just a you know speed bump um, a, a model is actually making that decision on the fly and when it's deployed in real time you have to understand in real time whether it's making the right decision or the wrong decision yeah. and folks today do that analysis sort of offline. And so that means after the car has made that decision, maybe, you know, like a data scientist will go through and understand, okay, here's where I'm doing well, here's where I'm not doing well. So my first company just started off building analytics um, to understand how models were doing in production. So you dropped out of Cornell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was really cold there. <laughs> yeah. Cornell is very cold. But sometimes people just park their PhD, but you, actually, you dropped out to start this company. I, I mean, I, I guess it's parked. I'm technically on leave, okay. but the startup world is just really exciting. Yeah. I, I don't know if I'm going to go back. <laughs> no, I, so um, I wanted to, you brought up a good point. Yeah. I, I just heard the story this week, and I'm not going to name the very well-known electric vehicle company. Yeah. But you might have heard this. It was a professor that was being interviewed for ML, and she had said that it violates everything she would have taught in like ML 101. But had you heard the story where uh, I had reported in the past that there were um, nefarious people trying to trick uh, EVs, autonomous EVs, like by putting garbage bags over stop signs, right? So that the electric vehicle wouldn't know that a stop sign was there and blew it through the intersection. And so there are different ways of, of using technologies to combat that. And actually, a lot of them just say, well, just make sure you mark that a stop sign actually exists there, right? Yeah. But there was another one that even scarier, I don't know if it's scary, but scary this week, they were talking about how now nefarious people were trying to change um, a speed limit sign so imagine your electric vehicle and you're going down a 35 mile an hour speed zone yeah. and the sign says 35 and they change it to 85. Oh, wow. And how this particular very famous large EV vehicle that we can't name um, <laughs> blew right through it. Oh, wow. And so that's what this professor was saying, that this is like 
clear violation of any of the just basic concepts of ML. What do you think about that? I, I, I think that, you know, we're going to start seeing models being deployed, not just in the EV space, mm-hmm. but across different industries. And they're, they're going to be making a lot of decisions. I, I, I can guarantee you in 10 years from now, a model will be making a decision on probably every single activity or day-to-day thing that you touch. And so it really comes down to what systems do we have in place today to be the guardrail on AI in the real world? And some some aspects of this are are, are starting to really be life and death situations. You know, maybe that's that's not the majority of the cases today, but you know, in some situations, especially in in the AI fairness space, we're starting to see, especially with facial recognition, they're biased or maybe they perform discriminatory, and so. There, there needs to be some sort of watcher or guardrail on AI, and that's what you know my company is trying to be. That is so cool and so needed. I mean, I, I, I'm with you. I think that we're still in the very nascent stages of the technologies. People hear a lot of the sound bites. Yep. And uh, bias is clearly, um, we talk about a lot, that algorithmic biases are just as prevalent as uh, confirmation biases in humans. Yep. And that, go ahead. No, I, I was just going to add on and say that it's, it's really interesting because we're we're building these models on historic data sets, which may be biased, may and, and these data sets are evolving and changing over time. And so we we want these models that are being deployed to production to reflect it, it reflects what we've seen in the past. Um, and if we've seen discriminatory things, we're going to see that you know in the future. But you know, with that being said, I don't want I don't want people to think that you know AI is this like terrible negative thing. You know, I think it's it's going to be beneficial, used in really, you know, ways to make our lives easier. It's more, we, we should probably build systems that we've done in the software world today, an analog for sort of the monitoring and analytics for software, and we need more of that for AI. Yeah. Well, let's get back to that our next segment. So you're listening to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. My special guest is Aparnit Dinikrin of Arise AI. And if you have any questions or comments, Email us at info at svn.biz. Find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, or Facebook. And we'll be right back with more of a part of. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Insiders, welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. Once again, I'm joined with special guest Aparna Dinikran, who is the Chief Product Officer of Arise.ai. Welcome back, Aparna. Thank you again, Keith, for having me. So here's a good question for you to answer because it's been in the news lately. I was even a guest on another radio show a couple weeks back. Um, this growing fear of artificial intelligence... Is that a valid concern? Yeah, that, that's a good question. I think that there's there's a lot of sort of noise in the space today. People are are throwing AI around. You know, they're they're saying you know this, but with AI and that, but with AI, and it, it's just the noise in the space is is huge. And so, part of what you know what we're also trying to do at Arise is. How do you just understand what the ML ecosystem looks like today? If you think about it, the ML infrastructure side today is, you can kind of break it down into three categories. There's a group of companies that are working towards the data prep, 
which is how do you actually get the data that's used in the models ready? Then there's kind of a set of companies that are working on model building, which is how do you actually train or you know do feature selection for the, the inputs to the model? Um, and then there's like a host of companies that are working in production AI, which is how do you put the models that you've built into the real live environment? And I think that while there's been a lot of investment in the data prep and the model building, there hasn't been a lot of companies or investment really in talking about production AI, which is very different from what's happened in the software world. You think about, you know, in the software world, you have tools such as, you know, Git and all your IDEs that are actually helping you write code, but then you also have a whole host of companies like your New Relics and Splunks and Grafanas and Datadogs that just help you understand what that code or software that you wrote is doing in production. There isn't that parallel for AI, which is why I think that there's a lot of fear because even the folks who are building the models don't really have tools today to understand what that model is doing in the real world. So that fear is, I want to say it's a little bit justified because there's not a lot of tooling out there to help you do that today. Unless folks are building that in-house, there really should be more tools like our platform, what we're building, to help you really just understand and troubleshoot what's going on with your, with your machine learning models in production. You just wouldn't do something like that for software, just throw it into production and just hope it works. But that's that's almost what's happening with AI today. So it's, it's the fear is a little bit justified. That, that's a great answer, so thank you very much. Yeah. So with that, it's funny you bring up New Relic, Splunk, Datadog. Uh, I did a lot of the earliest enterprise deals with those companies, so I can see the parallel in that how it doesn't exist yet for... Um, Artificial Intelligence Machine Learning, which is the ML. So tell me more then about Arise, because that's kind of where we're at now with you and your career. Yeah. We, in the earlier segment, we talked about how um, went to Berkeley, you're an ECS or EX major, electrical engineering, computer science, and how you started your PhD program at Cornell, but then you left to start Monitor Machine Learning, Monitor ML, and now you're at Arise. So tell us about Arise. Yeah, so what happened um, was I... I was working on Monitor ML. We, you know, launched our product. We're live with some customers, and around that time, some folks that I had worked with over at a previous company were also thinking about, you know, the same same sort of problem and you know their experiences from their past company. And we we started talking, and you know, I I really liked the folks on that old team. It just seemed like we were putting together two complementary teams together. And so we went through with a merger or acquisition, and now we have a much larger team that's working on solving the same core problem. And it's it's brought together this like beautiful melting pot of skills that I'm excited about. Um, so Arise is headquartered in Berkeley. We are, you know, we've we've launched, we have some folks on our platform, we're sort of building more and more features to, to help enable companies and, and businesses today get more observability in their ML platforms. Um, and so we we operate as a kind of SaaS product, we are a vertical solution and we integrate with a ton of existing tools that ML you know platforms and infrastructure engineers are already using. So um, yeah, that's that's sort of the, the the what's up on Arise. What was the name come from? Arise comes from so it's kind of a double meaning here. Um, 
one was like we're we're like rising up like uh, to like against sort of like standing up to like AI in production. Okay. So if things are going wrong, like we help surface that. And then another meaning is also like like rises and like shining like like kind of like the sun rising, like <laughs> shining light on on sort of this the space uh we couldn't get the s so we kind of went with the z and i actually like the z better now it has a little like stylistic <laughs> version of arise <laughs> that's great so in terms of the when we were talking about the question of the week and the need to uh we we're talking about the fear you're really trying to help enterprises serve their customers by taking the the fear of the unknown out of it yeah it's it's also mostly a a internal tool so it's it's for the data scientists or the engineers maybe even the product managers on the teams to understand what their models are doing um today the gold standard is really you have one metric like accuracy <laughs> to understand what that model is doing but your model can have a really high accuracy level but it might not be doing well maybe on a specific region or a specific set of inputs and so being able to do deeper analysis of your model beyond just the gold standard of today is is what we're pushing towards. And so, think of us as like an, an analytics platform for ML. Mm-hmm. Is is the reason why some of those challenges arise, uh, even though you have an accuracy as a metric, is it because of lack of data or lack of relevant data? I I think it's um, I, I wouldn't say it's lack of data. I would say it's lack of um, tooling to to help do analytics for models mm-hmm. there's a ton of analytics tools out there that are designed for network calls everything from you know like cloud monitoring solutions yeah. but there's not really a tool to help you do that for models it's also i think there hasn't been a lot of best practices set in the space today there's a lot of best practices for software monitoring and wrapping your your code around um you know the, the wrappers that you need to, to understand how it's doing in production, but there's there's not that best practices for models today. Um, you know, the space is growing, and more and more companies are starting to adopt it. So I think that we're we're going to start seeing some more best practices out there. Google actually published this really great paper in 2017, a white paper just on you know best practices for production ML. And so there's there's starting to be some noise on best practices for ML, and I think the space is just going to get richer. That's good. So in terms of what's on the horizon, what's in the short term you and Arise folks will be focusing on? Right. So in the short term, we are in the process of growing out our team and growing out our product line. So we um, we have some really awesome engineers on our team today, a lot of ex-Googlers, ex-Facebook okay. engineers. We have some folks from UberML and you know Adobe Analytics. And so the goal is to try to build out a really, really, you know, even stronger kind of team. Um, and also as, as, you know, as we build out the team, our product's just going to get better and richer. And so we were trying to sort of push out a, um, you know, we, we have some customers on our platform today and we're trying to onboard as many as we possibly can in the near time horizon. That's great. And how do they get a hold of you or your sales team? Yep, they can email Aparna at Arise.com. They can contact us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter. Um, they can also go to our website, Arise.com, and 
uh, just submit a request for demo and we can we can hop on a call with them. And Arise is A-R-I-Z-E. Yep, A-R-I-Z-E dot com. Yep. And if you have any questions or comments about the segment, you can email us at info at svn.biz. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Uh, don't go away because we'll be discussing more with Aparna Dinikran, the Chief Product Officer of Arise. If you have any questions or comments, Email us at info at svn.biz. Find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, or Facebook. And we'll be right back with more of a partner. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo. Once again, I'm joined with Aparna Dinkarin, who is the Chief Product Officer of Arise.ai, a company building out infrastructure to support artificial intelligence. In this week's Cyber Tip, I want to continue talking about the coronavirus. Because of the fear and concern growing of this illness, it's just like every other disaster, an opportunity for hackers to come find a way to steal your money and to steal your data. So we've talked about phishing, P-H-I-S-H-I-N-G. That is when you get an email that looks legitimate from some source. So in this case, your doctor, your hospital, your insurance company, and it says, hey, we have information about the coronavirus. And you click on it and you open it and then you infect your computer or your cell phone. Well, it's not just your hospital system or your insurance provider. It's also popping up in a number of different ways because remember, coronavirus is affecting lots of different aspects of life and business. So maybe you're a business owner and you rely on your supply chain from the Far East. So your supplier is in China or your supplier is somewhere else. And now you're getting emails from your supplier or from an intermediary or a third party or the shipper logistics company list goes on and on each one of those could potentially be a fake email and they can do this a number of different ways they can be one letter off on a domain name in an email address they can be a zero instead of letter o these are all things that are meant to go right under your nose that you'll never even suspect so during this time of heightened security and awareness, I suggest you look at all of your emails, all of your text messages very carefully. And I'm going to keep bringing this up because people continue to be scammed. Um, I'll relate this to not the coronavirus, but the growing scam of people using the same techniques, losing lots of money in their mortgage closures. So my final thought on this is always trust but verify especially when it deals with any type of financial transaction. And that's the Cyber Tip of the Week. Welcome back to the show. Once again, I'm joined with Aparna Dinikran, who is the Chief Product Officer of Arise AI. And earlier in the show, we talked all about her journey from Berkeley student to Cornell PhD student to starting her own company and then uh, getting acquired and now with Arise. Welcome back, Aparna. Thanks so much again for having me, Keith. So I think what would be a really great discussion is this whole concept of an ecosystem that's changed, right? So we were talking about traditional software earlier, and now we have terms like artificial intelligence and machine learning and computer vision. And this is, I think, 
I think that technology is actually accelerating faster than even a lot of traditional IT folks can keep up with. So why don't we go through what the ecosystem actually looks like? Yeah, so the ecosystem today for ML is, I, I would kind of break it into two separate camps. There's one camp that you know builds end-to-end platforms. And so these are people like your H2O, maybe Data Robot. And so they, they kind of work across the different verticals of what it takes to build a model. So this is everything from you know the data prep, uh, the the training of the model, the actual you know model building, the the deployment of the model, serving it, and then maybe some monitoring of you know some some accuracy, maybe some drift. Um, and so th- those are kind of like your end to end platforms. And then you have companies that are building sort of your best in breed solutions for just one part of that workflow. And these solutions plug and play with whatever teams already have built out. So if there's a company out there that maybe has a work stream already for how do you train a model and how do you deploy it, but then doesn't have you know pieces for the data prep, then maybe they'll inter- integrate with something like Trifecta. Um, Joe Hellerstein, who actually was the CEO and founder of Trifecta, was one of my advisors actually <laughs> at Berkeley. So um, know him, know that space pretty well. Um, but there's there's these like vertical best in breed companies that really focus on sort of building a building a deeper solution for that space. They probably have more flexibility than some of these end to end platforms that create lock in. With that being said, you know for some companies it is right to kind of just use an end to end platform, and then when they get more specialized and need more features, they can still choose to integrate with some of these best to best best in sort of vertical solutions. Um, and so that, that's sort of the two camps that are out there today. Um, the model building sort of ecosystem is is starting to change. Teams are, today I would say the ML, the ML teams are pretty diverse with roles. There is a data scientist, there's usually some sort of ML engineer, and then there is a product person. Mm-hmm. So normally, you know, what happens is, a product person will come to you know data scientist and engineer and say maybe we want to improve some business metric. This could be something like conversions, and they'll sort of ask the data scientist to build out a model to do matching of people to ads better. They'll go. The data scientist will build a model. Once that model has been trained and built and maybe tested on some you know historical data, the ML engineer will actually take that model and put it into production. This, this is different in many different companies. In some companies, the data scientist will actually be the one that deploys it. In some companies, the ML engineer is actually the one that trains it and deploys it. But the space is, it, it's just, it's very messy right now yeah. because people don't know who owns what part of the workflow. These are kind of the general guidelines, but in some companies, you, you might even have PMs who, who have to do the first line of defense when that model starts doing unexpected things in production. Yeah. And so you have three people all with different skill sets, different knowledge, and let's just say the model, maybe the model's doing really great in San Francisco, but it's starting to perform super terribly in New York. And just even detecting that problem today could take weeks. So this yeah. is great, because I talk a lot uh, when I do lectures at like banking conferences yeah. and stuff like that. So um, in banking, we do have an actual three lines of defense. Uh, first line of defense are the people who, would, in, in this case, would either be um, creating the model. Yep. And the second line of defense are the people who oversee that that model is getting validated. And the third line of defense would be your um, 
internal auditors, and then even the fourth line is have to be regulators. So it comes up a lot as a as a straw man in terms of we don't name which banks, but everyone has to go through it. Imagine you're doing a model on um, credit card approvals or mortgage approvals. Yep. And now um, some classification of uh, minority comes into the mix, and yep. there's a high level of rejections on the application. Yeah. Uh, the question always comes up is, how do you use your technology? If you're using technology, yep. how do you validate that it was scored correctly? Yep. And then um, what do you do if you find out? Wh- what, what do you do? If, how do you validate that it was scored correctly good? Or what do you do when you find out that the model is flawed? Yep. Those are really good questions. We're talking to folks who are working in exactly you know that space. Um, and it, I don't know if you recently saw, but there was that whole... Apple Card, Goldman Sachs yep. scandal mm-hmm. that happened with, you know, the Apple Card giving out or rejecting sort of women more than they were rejecting men. Um, and even if they had, you know, higher or same, like, credit scores. Right. And so it's, it's high on everyone's mind right now because you're automating these decisions away and then you're hoping that, you know, it's doing a better job than humans, but you don't know that for sure. Um, and so a part of how, uh, so just to back up, like how, how is Arise kind of coming in and sure. helping solve that is first we have, so first when a model is thrown into production and it's live in production, there's a whole host of things that could go wrong. Your input data, which is live data coming in that your model uses to make a prediction, the distribution of that can change. So if you trained a model maybe six months ago and you put it into production, the world view of the new types of information and data you're getting today might be significantly different from what you trained that model on, which means that model might not be the best model anymore. And so just understanding first some basic data checks, some basic input distribution checks on what has changed in your model, understanding on a second level, what are the metrics you should be looking for if your model is in production. For For some folks, it's kind of very statistical model metrics, such as your RMSE or your F1 scores. But for other folks, it's, it's not just a global view of that metric. It's really how, where am I sort of getting my false positives or my false negatives? And if I'm rejecting a ton of people, you know, it, it, in this case, if, you know, it's easier to reject someone than it is to give, you know, a bad actor mm-hmm. a, a higher credit score. But if all of my rejects are people of sort of this, had this feature or had this input, then that's that's really problematic. And in order to do any of that analysis today, honestly what happens is a data scientist probably just writes some sort of offhand script, <laughs> does some analysis, maybe they present it at like a quarterly deep dive into their model, but none of this is real time, which means to even track down a scandal like this yeah. usually happens when your customer starts screaming at you. Yeah. And that's what happened when DHH you know, tweeted about it. And so you you don't want that. You don't want the way that you find out about issues in your models and production to come from your clients. You want it to come, you want to surface those issues before they're actually impacting people. Exactly. If you're involved with banking or fintech, um, an auditor or a regulator would be very, very alarmed if you said that the average company data scientist is going to write a custom script to correct for what should have been something that's tested and um, retested. Totally. And, and you know what else is interesting is, you know, 
models are really smart. Yeah. And they learn. And sometimes, you know, we call them sort of latent latent data that they 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 sort of understand is even if you're not adding into your model things such as, you know, gender, if you're feeding the name of the person into the model, you know, there's there's kind of higher level correlations you can make about the name of a person and potentially what gender that is. And so these are like latent features that the model could potentially derive. Um, and so it's, it you know, and no one's passing a name into the model today, but it's PII information. Like they wouldn't do that. But, but I guess the point that I'm trying to make is really just that you, you there's, there's sort of deeper, uh, there's deeper insights that you should do on your input data that you're going to get with these production AI tools that today are, are not real time and potentially not even being done at these companies. Yeah, this is a good conversation. I know we got a little technical, but I think it's important because um, we're so used to technology and you know we go back to what we used to say is like it just turns on, you just expect to get signal, you just get electricity, and um, the world's becoming more complicated. So we rely on technology more, but we're, we're still just trusting that things just happen automatically, yeah. and we don't know what's behind it. So I think um, it's been great having you on the show today. I want you to come back because I think it's really important topics. Uh, don't go away because Aparna is going to come back on the pivot to talk about some really cool things on the horizon. So if you have any questions or comments about today's show, you can email us at info at svn.biz. Again, our special guest is Aparna Dinikran, who is the Chief Product Officer of Arise, and they're really trying to solve for the need for infrastructure on machine learning. If you have any questions or comments, email us at info at svn.biz. Find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, or Facebook. And we'll be right back with more of a part of. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo. Once again, I'm joined with special guest, Aparna Dinikran, who is the Chief Product Officer of Arise. Welcome back, Aparna. Thanks so much again for having me, Keith. So earlier in today's show, we talked a lot about Aparna's background, how she went to Berkeley, how she was a PhD at Cornell, and how she dropped out, actually parked it, to work on her first company, Monitor ML, which had recently been acquired, and now she's with Arise. Uh, Aparna, I wanted to talk about an interesting story a couple years back where uh, Microsoft had developed a chatbot named Tay, mm-hmm. and in less than 24 hours, Microsoft had to kill Tay because Tay became a racist misogynist. Yeah, wow. <laughs> and I'm sure technology's changed since then, but yeah. what were some of the things that Microsoft could have done at the time to have avoided that situation? Yeah, um, that's that's really uh, that's really interesting. It kind of reminds me of you know some other big tech giants that, that threw out some either search or, you know, facial recognition stuff yeah. that, that, you know, later they had to roll back on. Um, so it, it's interesting you mentioned the the voice recognition, you know, the voice kind of chat bot, you know, uh, thing that they launched. Um, I, I think about every time, you know, you use Siri or you use Alexa, you know, you, you know, they're probably trained on, on what the engineers probably think you should ask them which is what's the weather can you open this for me or you know what what should i wear today and you know 
probably what a majority of people do is ask a bunch of like really stupid questions to it. They probably, you know, probably cuss at them. They probably like ask a bunch of like sexual innuendos to them. And that, that's just what people do to like, you know, mess around with these systems. But that data that's coming in is actually probably very different from the data that those platforms were trained on, um, which means that this model is making decisions on inputs that it, it may or may not have seen before, or at least trained significantly on. So it doesn't know what to do, which means that it starts kind of making decisions that it, it, it's just seen in historical situations. So if all it's getting, it's, it's bad words and maybe misogynistic things, it might start responding in that way. Um, and so some of the checks that you might want to do in that situation is, has the data that you're seeing coming in changed from the data that you might have trained on? Are there any data checks that you're putting in as a guardrail so that these are outside the constraints of what a chatbot should be seeing? Maybe some sort of, you know, a it could be kind of a rules approach to kind of, you know, not continue that line of conversation or digress in, in that way. Um, but these, these guardrails are are things that should be put in place so that your your AI or your model doesn't have to make decisions on data it's never seen or interacted with before because in this case as we saw it, it didn't do a great job um, and and that's part of what we're doing at Arise is you know how do you actually understand that the data you're seeing today is relevant to the data that your model had seen when it was being trained and you know I know we've been talking a lot about these these more human kind of, you know, related, you know, AI guardrails and checks such as fairness and, you know, self-driving. But, you know, a lot of the most common use cases we're seeing today is just basic sort of forecasting predictions mm -hmm. that, you know, maybe the data that you, you trained your model on is still no longer relevant or maybe your model is being deployed to a new city and it's not doing as well in this new city as it did before. And so it's, it's kind of that same idea. The baseline is that you want to make sure that your your input is something that you're aware of. And if your input is changing because of the outside world and the nuances of it, you, you, you should know and not let your customers tell you that the world has changed. This is great. And we can talk about it um, after the show, but I can think of at least one company that could probably use your services right now. Oh, awesome. We'll send them over. <laughs> <laughs> so then uh, what also leads to back to technology shifts is what are some of the careers that will be needed in order to support this industry? Yeah, I, I think there's going to be a growing number of sort of ML engineers that we're going to start seeing the rise of this role. We've seen, you know, data scientists kind of come and, you know, start building more models. And what's really awesome about the data science world, and I've personally seen this when I was over at Uber, was you had folks that maybe have gone really deep into a space like chemistry mm -hmm. or, you know, a hard science and or mathematics. And, you know, data science is like they're able to take all that analytical background that they have and use it in a new context. And so we've seen a lot more data scientists, which has increased in the number of models. But what that's done is build a lot of models in in sort of this pre-production environment. But the velocity of actually putting models into production is still not that high. If you ask any company that we've talked to today, you know, how long does it take to create a new version of your model, maybe add a feature to it and push that into production? Most of them will probably still say a couple months, which means that you're still building models, but it's not getting out into the real world. 
And you want those new models, that new iteration, so that you're, you're up to date and you have newer versions of it. And so the ML engineer is commonly in these companies, you know, they're called different, different things. Sometimes they're called data engineers, sometimes they're called ML engineer, but they're folks who are actually taking the sort of research and the academic work of building the model and figuring out how do I make that work in the real world. And I think that role is going to start getting more and more significant because they're, they're the folks who are going to push it into production, probably going to need to understand if it's doing wrong things in production, how do I triage it? And, and I, I, I see them sort of being that first line of defense in the future. Well, that's great. So, Aparna, we're out of time. This has been a fascinating conversation. And I think uh, with the rise of machine learning engineers, I want you to go into uh, what steps it will take for somebody to develop into that role. But we're out of time, so I'd like to ask you if you can do that as an extra segment. Cool. Yeah. So once again, it's Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo, joined with special guest Aparna Dinekin, who is the Chief Product Officer of Arise. We've been talking about how her company is really trying to set the infrastructure in place to make sure that all this data we're collecting and dealing with are accurately mapped and responded to. So for any questions or comments about Arise, you can go to arize.com, or you can always email us at info at svn.biz. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn, and we'll see you next week. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Welcome to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo. Joining with me on a special podcast is Aparna Dinekrin, who is the Chief Product Officer of Arise. We had her on an earlier show, but we wanted her back to give her best tips on how to enter the job market with a career in artificial intelligence. So thanks, Aparna, and take it away. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for having me on the show. Um, first and foremost, I would say uh, just be confident. I think that there's, there's, you know, personally as a woman in AI, it, it, you know, there's, there's a lot of folks in the field who might not look like you, and I think that just be confident in, you know, you, you your background, you know, your interest, your passion in the space, what you want to learn, and I think that that'll take you farther than you probably would have expected. Um, second, I think that there's a lot of resources today out there for just learning how to build a model, everything from TensorFlow tutorials towards Data Science is a really good blog that, that has a lot of tutorials, so I would say just get your hands dirty, actually try building a model, try understanding what the workflow is, um, it's, it's great to read stuff, but it's really awesome to just try doing it on your own. Um, third, I would say stay up to date on, on the changes that's happening. There's a lot of new platforms and tools that are coming out. And I think that, you know, just, just following some folks on Twitter who are really great in the space, reading some blogs like the Towards Data Science mm-hmm. blog that I mentioned, um, staying, staying really updated in, in what's changing is going to be relevant because the space is growing and changing, you know, I want to say every month. Um, Fourth, if you can, I would recommend just taking a a course. Um, Andrew Ning's like, you know, introduction to AI is a really popular course that you can take for free online. And having the fundamentals, especially the math fundamentals, will help you understand some of the more complex, you know, algorithms and models that are out there. If you just break it down to the math behind it. Um, even if even if you you know 
done sort of a technical background, you have sort of the engineering, you know, understanding, kind of taking these courses and, you know, getting getting deeper into the space is, is only going to benefit you. Um, and I think five, there's a ton of meetups. I've been going to the data science meetups and um, there, there's kind of a growing community of people in the East Bay, South Bay, SF, um, probably anywhere in the world at this point. And so go, go to those meetups, meet some folks. They're, it's a really like, awesome growing community. And I think that the more people you know in the space, the more you're going to end up just, just feeling invested in the community. All right. Well, Aparna, those are all really great tips. So once again, Aparna Denikran, who is the Chief Product Officer of Arise, giving her five tips on how to enter a career in artificial intelligence. Any questions or comments, email us at info Find us on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn. And we'll see you again. You've been listening to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. For questions or comments on today's program or to schedule a complimentary consultation with Keith about your business, call 1-888-828-SVIN. That's 1-888-828-7846. 888-828-SVIN. 